This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 108-Inch. On this week's episode, we interview legendary comedy musician Stephen Lynch. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch you don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Ethan, we did it. Welcome to episode nine feet. Nine feet. Wow. Man, we are pretty much the length of a football field at this point, right? Well, it's not quite as long as a football field. It's more closer to, let's say, the height of the Empire State Building. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't really follow sports, so... That's easy to confuse. And, and I don't really follow building architecture, so I might be a little confused as well. Anyway, I, I think we should chat about last week's episode before we get to this week's episode, because we had a lot of awesome reactions from our listeners. And uh, just to start off, our good friend Kenneth Gwynup, after our interview, he shared photos from his own personal collection of his Weird Al, Fat Weird Al, and Cheese Sandwich prototypes of Funko products. They were so cool. Yeah, it is always great to see anything in Kenneth Gwynup's collection. He is probably has the greatest Weird Al collection out of anybody out there. So anytime he gives anybody a glimpse of just a little bit of what he has, it is such a treat. Yeah, and how incredible that he has prototypes for both of the Al Funko Pops and the cheese sandwich. I mean, Sarah was telling us how hard it is to track those down and how rare it is to get those. How cool that Kenneth has those in his collection. And did you see the photo that our listener, Matt Bruzzy, posted? Now, he's an incredible artist, and he created an actual original Al Funko Pop sculpture that predated the official ones that he made for charity. That was so cool. And I know our friend Jason actually owns that Funko that he made. But what was really cool is Matt also shared a few of his own just personal for fun concept drawings of Weird Al Funko Pop. So he had a classic Al, which looked a lot like the official one that ended up coming out. He also did one for Fat Al, which Again, looked like the official one, uh, as well as Modern Al, Bad Hair Day Al with the crazy hair, uh, like a surgeon Al. And this one I didn't even think of, and I, I totally love. He did a drawing for Mandatory Fun Al in, you know, the military uniform. It looks really cool. And if you want to check those out, you can go over to group.2000inch.com and see those amazing drawings that Matt did. Yeah, and we were talking about in the interview how we wanted to see the Funko Soda made into Al. And Matt also did his own fan art of what Al might look like as a Funko Soda toy. So be sure to look for those as well. And that wasn't the only great feedback we got about last week's episode. Our intern, Frank, he told me that he received an email that said, Frank, very important. Pass on the request for a Funko Pop Pez of Dave, Ethan, or maybe even Al. Our good friend Jackson Scoggins emailed that to Frank. And I agree with you, Jackson. We should definitely have a Funko Pop Pez of me and Ethan. Eh, maybe one of Al, too. I guess that'd be okay. I, I like that idea. Yeah, I, I think we should push for that. 
So this is really great. We sent our interview with Sarah over to the Funco public relations director who helped set up the interview. And she asked Sarah, hey, is this all right for me to send to the whole Funko staff? And Sarah replied that she thought that was a great idea because maybe it would help get more Weird Al Funko products made. So we're really crossing our fingers, hoping that it works. (laughs) Well, anything we can do to help get more Funko Weird Al products made, we're totally on board with it. All right, let's move on to this week in Weird Al related news. And we have some huge, gigantic, fabulously large, extremely important news to share this week. This coming Saturday is none other than Ethan's birthday. Happy birthday, Ethan. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast, we wish you a very happy birthday. Wow. Thank you, Dave. And thanks, everyone else. All right, do you have any big plans for your birthday, Ethan? Well, all I know is I want to visit my favorite vegan Mexican restaurant for my birthday. Oh, that's so nice. That taco tofu place in Tulsa I was telling you about? No, not that one. Faking fajitas in Fresno? Yeah, not not faking fajitas. Pico de plant-based in Pittsburgh? Um, Enchilada meatless options in Encino? Dave. Is it burrito meter dairy in Burlington? Dave, you know where I want to go. Okay, so I'm guessing you don't want any meat in Quebec? Dave! Now, these are very funny fake vegan Mexican restaurant names, but there is only room for one favorite, and that is, of course, Burrito Burrito. This week's episode is brought to you in part by vegan burrito restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito and wizard burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your burrito burrito or hop on over to Wizard Burger for mouth-watering, loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Troy to Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world plant-based real food always vegan style. Visit burritosquared.com or wizardburger.com and order ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Burrito, burrito. That was my next guess. Yeah, Dave, I'm sure. All right, Ethan, are you ready to move on to this week's exciting interview? I sure am, Cooney. Let's do it. Now, Ethan, obviously I know that you are a lifelong diehard fan of Weird Al, but I also happen to know that Weird Al is not your only passion. So this week... We have a very special surprise guest for your birthday. Oh, you do? And I know how much you like going to live events and tour chasing, and not just for Weird Al. Well, of course. Well, I did some light, extensive social media stalking, and it seems like there is one event that you've gone to more than any other, you know, after Weird Al, of course. Yes. Well, it's a little departure from our usual format, but it is not often that we get to talk to an actual sitting United States representative. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to love this. Straight out of District 8 in Massachusetts, we are very pleased to announce that we will be interviewing Congressman Stephen F. Lynch this week. Who the H-E double snorkels is that? Stephen Lynch! You know, you've been to a ton of his, I assume, rallies and fundraising events. Dave, I have no idea who Stephen F. Lynch is. Of course you do. You know exactly who Stephen Lynch is. I think you're 
confusing him with the incredibly amazing, talented, hilarious comedy musician, Stephen Lynch. Oh, well, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Well, Dave, I'm excited to talk to Stephen. Are you ready to get to this week's interview? Well, no, no, Frank has led me astray again. Fudsicle! Now, what am I going to do with all these questions about the economy? I have literally have six pages of questions alone about his time on the United States House Committee of Financial Services, and not to mention his views on foreign policy and veterans and his re-election efforts, and that time he was on Broadway, and that time he got the Tony nomination. And, uh, I, and I think that last one was the Stephen Lynch that I'm talking about. No, Ethan, now I think you are confused. Well, I'm going to have to rewrite everything, and I have to have Frank get in touch with the real Stephen Lynch. You know, he's a very busy guy, you know. This could take a few weeks. Uh, well, Dave, you got about two minutes. Uh, how about I check the spatula hotline or do the David Grant ad, you know, kill some time. You think that'll give you enough time? Yeah, sure. Do whatever. Do both of them. I'll figure it out. Okay, let's check the spatula hotline. Uh, Frank, do, do we have any calls? Well, how about that? Sounds like we've got a call on the 347 Spatula Hotline. The 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, is sponsored by Angel Valenzuela and David Cash, two amazing Weird Al fans and podcast supporters. All right, Frank, let her rip. Hey, guys, it's Jackson Scoggins, time traveler extraordinaire, Camper on the Walk of Fame, that is Hollywood, episode 69 guest, and episode 420 guest. I was just calling to let you guys know that I've recently been visiting this super cool website, wolfinwool.com. It actually, it's run by a fan and Patreon supporter of the podcast, David Grant. He has a great little side rap career under MC Chalkskin, and his uh, his debut album uh, actually just had its 10-year anniversary last month. It's called Fresh Donuts. You can find it wherever you can stream music. You can also find his book under the pseudonym Sebastian Shepard. He, uh, he talked about some of those books on the podcast, if I remember correctly. You can also find him on the RU.com's podcast. He's a host of that. But if you really want to find them, I cannot stress enough. Go to wolfinwool.com, and you can find every project this guy's ever done. I'm talking fresh donuts. I'm talking books. I'm talking podcasts. He even sells merch, some of which might look really good on a Weird Al fan. Anyway, uh, that's all I really have to say today. I've lost my voice because instead of attending the two-year anniversary party, I was um, running directly into the Pacific Ocean, just flipping it off and screaming, you ocean. Sorry about that bad word. It's uh, nothing compared to the harmonica and saxophone player that you guys had on, but had to get a cuss word in. You know me. Anyway, uh, all my best. Keep on being groovy. Uh, wow. Uh, thanks, Jackson, for taking time out of your busy time-traveling schedule to... Tell us about wolfandwool.com and David Grant. Wow, that that saves us some time, Dave. Uh, great. All right, well, Ethan, I have some good news and some bad news. 
Oh, boy. Well, let's start with the bad news. Really? All right. Well, the bad news is all the Cheetos are gone. Well, I guess it could be worse. The good news? The good news is, while I thought it was the congressman we were going to speak to this week, Frank actually had lined up the phone call with the comedy musician instead. Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to welcome the next guest to our podcast. When I was 14 years old, I went to see a Mitch Hedberg show in Albany, and I was pleasantly surprised when I found out he was co-headlining with our next guest. And ever since, I've been an insanely huge fan. He has a Tony nomination. He's been on Comedy Central, has multiple CD and DVD releases. He nationally tours. We are so excited to welcome to the podcast, Stephen Lynch. How's it going, Stephen? It's going great. How you guys doing? Great. Oh, we're doing great. Thanks for joining us. This is a very rare occurrence for me because I don't really do podcasts or like I moved back to Michigan, Michigan, where I grew up from New York to kind of semi-retire. <laughs> 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 but when, you know, if somebody asks you to do a Weird Al podcast, <laughs> you got to do it, right? That's right. I mean, I don't even know who the Weird Al character is, but I'm excited to learn more about it. <laughs> Well, hopefully by the end, you'll know all about him. <laughs> Start from the beginning. Dr. Demento, 1980-whatever. <laughs> well, let's let's start from the beginning. Before we get to your career, let's get to the beginning of when was the first time you heard Weird Al? Was it on Dr. Demento? No. I. You know what? I, I was thinking about this because I kind of figured you would ask me that question. <laughs> and, I, and I really don't remember. All of a sudden, I think what happened was one day, you know, my whole life I didn't know who Weird Al was. And then one day, of course, I knew who Weird Al was because everybody talked about him because I was, I think, 12 when um, Eat It came out. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm a 12 year old boy. I am the absolute target audience for this <laughs> material. Right. I think. And, you know, he went from, like, guy I didn't know existed to complete legend. <laughs> like, probably the first time I heard one of his songs. Right. <laughs> so I don't yeah. remember it exactly. I don't know if it was, you know, I like Rocky Road or Eat It or whatever whatever it was. It didn't matter. Yeah. Right. It shot straight into my heart. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, it's amazing because you were... 12 when you heard Al. I was 14 when I heard you for the first time. So I, I guess I was sort of also the target market to some degree <laughs> for your material. Oh, <laughs> yeah. See, it's a circle of life, man. <laughs> a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I was 46 when I heard you for the first. No. <laughs> uh. <laughs> circle of life. I mean, I wonder if like 12 year old <laughs> kids are still like hearing Weird Al for the first time and becoming lifelong fans. I got to figure. Yeah. Oh, there has to be. Yeah. Yeah. With every with every album, with everything that Weird Al does, he just creates a whole new fan base out of just generation of and, up. and of course, yeah. Gener and of course, you know, now that a lot of his fans are older and they're having kids of their own and their kids are approaching 10 and 12 years old, they're becoming into Weird Al. So, you know, through yeah. their parents. So it's really a great, you know. It's a really a great thing he's got going there. He just kind of takes the first generation and they just keep 
building out, you know, as long as they keep having children, he'll keep having uh, fans. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, <laughs> they will keep having children because if anybody makes baby-making music, it's Weird Al Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> I can F to that dude's music all night long. <laughs> all right, that's disgusting. It's not probably what this what podcast is all about, so I will... <laughs> I'll tone it down. That's that's our other <laughs> podcast, yeah. <laughs> the R-rated one. That's right. Well, I, I guess, you know, back to, you know, you being 12, me being 14 when I first saw your show, I, I can't, I've, I've seen your show quite a few times. I don't think I've ever seen a 14-year-old. Do you see kids ever showing up at your dates? Um, No. No. I, I mean, I don't really perform in places that allow kids anymore. Right. <laughs> um, I, my agent accidentally one time booked me for a show at the Kennedy Center, which I was kind of geeked about. And I, the, the fact that it was in the afternoon freaked me out a little bit, but, you know, I was on a bill with other people. Yeah. And then when I got there and realized that it was it was for kids, I, I don't know <laughs> what this dude was thinking, but there were literally <laughs> like 400 children in the audience. <laughs> and you know, I'm old school, so I was like, the show must go on. Right. Um, so I, I tried to play this the least uh, awful material that I had, which was nothing. I was like, all my material was awful. And there was just a mass exodus of, you know, mothers running and clapping ears over their hands over the ears of their children and rushing them out. And oh. I, I was just sweating. I did my lot because I wanted to get paid. And then I immediately fired my agent. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, man, you had to know I wasn't weird Al. Right. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't care or didn't know. So strange. <laughs> but no, the answer is no. I don't. I, I would create no new generations of fans <laughs> um, because, you know, nobody's playing my stuff for their kids. They have to find it eventually right. for themselves. <laughs> right. I mentioned that tour that you did with Mitch Hedberg. What was the story behind going on tour with him? Um, you know what? I don't really know. Um, I think maybe we had the, the same agent or something. I'm not really sure. I just know that he had put out a really popular um, Comedy Central like half-hour special. And um, I had also put out one that gained a bunch of traction and... I was starting to play bigger places. And I think somebody just thought, let's team some people up and send them out under the Comedy Central banner. I don't know how the two of us got teamed up. (laughs) It was a strange marriage. But, um, yeah, I met him in Montreal at the Comedy Festival. I was like, hey, I guess we're going to do a tour together. He's like, okay, sounds good. So we did. Wow. I didn't know him before that. I I, I knew his material or his work of course i was a huge fan of his but yeah. um, i didn't i didn't know him before the tour how can you describe mitch off stage is he the same guy or was he same guy same exact dude yeah <laughs> yeah really sweet guy you know in the beginning anyway super nice and sweet and funny and great to be around and you know just a good dude yeah 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 I think I saw you guys together in January of 2005. Yep. And 
he had passed away like two months later. It was it was really jarring as an audience member. I can I can and, and as a fan, you saw the end of the tour then probably, which was not super fun because you know everybody knows what was going on by that point, and and you yeah, know, it was just kind of a slog. Yeah, he didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and then, then the end, end came soon after that. So sad. Yeah, what a shame. Yeah. So I'm kind of interested if you could walk us through and let us know how you got your start. I mean, we talked a little bit about how you got your start with, you know, as being a Weird Al fan, but how did you get your start as far as, uh, you know, performing and incorporating comedy into your uh, performances? Um, my my start came probably through uh, musical theater, which I did a lot of as a kid. Hmm. I was just sort of... Uh, you know, my dad did it, and he got me hooked on it. And so in school and in, um, you know, college and, and summer stock, even, I did a lot of musical theater, and I loved it, and it was fun. And there's a lot of funny music, obviously, in musical theater. And my thought was always, well, you know, what if I write in a style of music that is not like this, um, you know, that's more either, you know, sort of folky or whatever. <laughs> and then I saw um, Spinal Tap, and I was like, okay, see, these dudes know what's up. They're doing it with rock music. Right. And so I sort of took on a f- sort of folk persona, if you will. But I wanted to write good songs but, and, you know, good folk songs, but I wanted them to be funny. And to me, the, the um, juxtaposition of sort of light, sweet folk music and... <laughs> Hor- horrific imagery <laughs> was funny. <laughs> and so once I saw that, it was kind of easy. I would just say, what is the worst thing I could think of? And then I tried to sing a pretty song about it. <laughs> so I did that in high school. I did it in college, never thinking it would be any sort of career, just sort of a fun thing to do. And then I moved to New York, wanting to act and do more theater. And while I was there, a friend of mine ran a, sort of a cabaret show in the basement of um, a restaurant called the West Bank Cafe. And he suggested I come down one night and just do a couple of the songs that I had never played in public before. And I did, and uh, people I didn't know seemed to appreciate them and think they were funny. So I just kept doing it. And by that point, you know how they say it takes you like 20 years to write your first record and then you have a year to write the, the second one. Right. That's exactly what it was like. I, I had, <laughs> you know, years worth of material and I recorded it and then I went, Oh, now I have to write more <laughs> because somehow people responded to it. Like, I, I think I had a song on Dr. Demento and you know what I mean? Comedy yeah. central expressed interest. And I was just flabbergasted. Like who, what? To hear the words that I'm singing, they realize how awful this stuff is, and uh, somehow it found an audience. I have no idea how it did. It did. Well, I, actually, I take that back. I know how it found an audience because I, in those days, I intentionally wrote songs without using profanity in order that I might one day get to play that on the radio. That was the key. I thought, like, like I can be singing about these horrible things, but if I do it in a sort of clever way without effing this and effing that all the time, then there's a chance. I mean, how naive I was that 
you know, radio stations and TV executives didn't just care about profanity, they actually cared about content. Right. <laughs> which I was kind of hoping sneak sneak past them a little bit, but it never, it never worked. I never had a hit or uh, got on MTV with my, my material is too awful. But I found an audience, Yes, is the point. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, yeah, I quit my job and never went back. Wow, and what were you doing at that point? Just a lot of temp jobs. I yeah. worked in a bank, I think, at the time when I, I think that was the last job I had. I worked wow. at an, an allied Irish bank <laughs> in Manhattan. And um, somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody sent a, a limo to pick me up to go do a gig. Like, they paid for it. <laughs> and I had never been in a limo before. And I was a temp guy. It's like, literally, like, in the back, filing papers. And the my boss is like, oh, there's a limo here to, to pick you up, I guess? I was like, oh, <gasps> I must have hit the big time. So, <laughs> my two-week notice, I'm just going to put it out in the universe that this is it. I'm done work. He's horrible. Not that that was horrible, but, you know, any job. Like I need this to work for me, so I'm just gonna quit and hope that I somehow figure out how to make a living doing this. You mentioned you were uh, performing some music in high school and college. Were, was that like coffee shops or to your friends? What were those performances? Oh no, 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 no! It was, um, you know, probably I wouldn't play for anybody except you know theater kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> My own little gang of theater kids. I didn't think anybody else would find this stuff funny, right? um, but I never in public. It was always people I knew. That was the key. Got it. Um, I felt comfortable and safe doing it for people I knew. I would never have thought to sing these terrible things for for the general public until I, my friend convinced me to give it a try. Right. Wow. Yeah. It was probably the most terrifying night of my life. But I, you know, you get that first laugh and you're like, all right, all right, maybe I'm onto something here. <laughs> Right. And did any of those high school and college songs make it to your first record? Uh, no. Oh, wow. I was smart enough to know that the longer I did it, the better I got at it. Okay. <laughs> and even though some of them held a place in my heart, they were not very good. So, yeah, it wasn't the stuff I started writing later was was what ended up on my first record. Okay, yeah. I have not been and will never be brave enough to go find that old material <laughs> and... <laughs> release it to the world i'm terrified that somebody might actually have a, a copy of it because i'm sure i recorded it you know on a tape deck or something right right i mean that's something that you know dave and i and other weird al fans we're always looking for there these early recordings that weird al did when he was in high school and college and al does not want them out because I, I think he feels the same way you do right but you know, to someone like us, to, to fans, we want to hear everything possible. So, you know, representing your fans, I want to. I'm saying I would love to hear your early stuff, even if it's not good. That's, I mean, it's all part of you know the history of of what you did before you got good. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I want to hear bootlegs and old materials and demos of artists I like too. And when I'm dead, maybe people <laughs> want to hear that. Until then, <laughs> they. Keep your matey paws out of my archive because I don't want anybody to hear this stuff. When I'm dead, go for it. And you know, Richard Al probably feels the same way. Like once I'm dead, you can find all that early stuff. <laughs> well, ho hopefully not for a long time. We're, we're happy to uh, keep that under wraps as long as right. you, both of you are still around for a long time. <laughs> if you find something, you better send it to me immediately. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know how you would find anything, though. I think, you know, I have probably have any existing copies of anything I made 30 plus years ago. Well, you know, I've seen that there that you had pressed a demo CD called Half a Man. How many of those are out there? I would love to get one for my collection. Um, You know what? I don't know. I, I mean, it was never that was never released, you know, through a um, through a record company company or anything it was just something i i pressed to shop around and ended up selling a bunch of them at shows okay um but uh i still have some i'll send you one. Oh, that'd be it's great me with a full it's me with a full band it's only like five songs it's the, it's the way i intended them to be when i wrote them yeah you know like full on yeah and it's kind of you know they're kind of funny now when you listen to them they're they're dated in terms of the music not not necessarily bad, but definitely of a time, and that time would be like the late '90s. But then when I started performing live, I realized that um, I didn't need all that stuff. I could just sort of sing it acoustically and right. and save a lot of money and <laughs> still still make songs good, just not so produced. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there's a bunch of those floating around. I don't know how many I sold at shows. Probably. 10 or 20 million. (laughs) (laughs) Very well. Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea. I I really don't. But um, yeah, I'm sure I I know I have some because I just moved and I found a box of old stuff. Oh, cool. A bunch of those. So I'll send you. Oh, I'd love that. And then you can release it after I'm dead. Okay. (laughs) As we talked about earlier. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So how did performing, you know, in these these little clubs and stuff, how did that lead to uh, you uh, getting your songs on Dr. Demento and your Comedy Central specials? Well, I don't remember how I got stuff on Dr. Demento. I'm guessing it was probably my manager. But uh, Comedy Central was I would I was doing shows at um, or was it Catch a Rising Star? OK, they had a club in Manhattan at the time which has since closed, but, um, you know, I was just doing any show who would let me on the stage. And one of them was, I can't remember the name of the show, but, um, the guy who would eventually become my manager and his wife, who would eventually become my publicist were in the audience. And, uh, I think they were either friends with, yeah, they were friends with a guy who worked for comedy central, Chris Young, who, you know, discovered a lot of people and made a lot of things happen over there. Wow. And so he saw me probably do my little 10 minute set and thought it was good and asked me to come up with 30 minutes or whatever it was. And I did a, 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 a showcase for them and, um, and they gave me a half hour, which at the, you know, at the time was huge because yeah. there was no YouTube and there was no way, way to get, get this stuff out to people yourself. You needed somebody, you know, to discover you as it were. And so he did that, and that got the ball rolling there, and I did a couple specials for them and a couple other shows where I would just do one or two songs or whatever and formed a pretty good alliance with them in the early days. I feel like, you know, getting a Comedy Central Presents in the time period that you got one was sort of equivalent to the older generations getting a spot on Carson. It was sort of like the place that people went for new comedy. Yeah, it was pretty huge. I don't I don't know if it was as big as that because you know, the Carson thing was when there were four channels or well, three yeah, channels. Yeah. 
you know, Comedy Central was when there were, you know, maybe 200 channels. But you're right. right. <laughs> outside of that, it was probably the biggest thing that could happen outside of getting on network television. So yeah. it was a huge boost for my career because it allowed me to just, you know, tour. And, and you know, I, I realized I had made the right decision by quitting my job. And so now I could just concentrate on writing and putting out new material and touring around it. So. Yeah, thank God for Comedy Central, man. Did you keep an account at that bank that you worked at and, like, go in from time to time, like, cashing your, your big checks and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> cashing my big Comedy Central residuals of, like, $4. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you guys. $4. Cash, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they weren't huge money makers, but, man, they, they did the trick in getting getting my name out there which right. is what you need right. you know you just you just right. need somebody yeah. to pay attention to you so you can make a living at it and that's what they helped me do yeah i was always curious in your comedy central special you do your song special and in the the song on the album and and when i've seen you do it live it's special ed but on comedy central it was special fred was that something to do with crank yankers or or their censors or what was that all about no it was just um I think it was probably just standards and practices were like, hey, a hole. Stop making fun of people in special ed. And I went, okay, I'll change it to special ed. They said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> a reasonable stance. <laughs> and I, I get it now. Now, I'm always curious for someone who, you know, puts out live albums and things like that. You know, once you commit something to, you know, permanent, you know, the album, are you kind of stuck with that song always having to sound like that? Or do you or do you you know, do you ever get people saying that doesn't sound like the album? What are you singing? You know, if you try to just change one word here or there. Oh, I mean, I don't know. As long as it's I mean, I'm still changing words to songs that are like 20 years old just because. <laughs> I'm trying to make them funnier or better or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I will continue to do that. You know, (laughs) if you ask me to play a song right now, as it appeared on a record of mine, it may sound like a totally different song. I don't know. It probably (laughs) would sound like a totally different song, but there may be whole chunks of lyrics that have been changed over the years. Yeah. And I will always do that. Yeah. Because times change and, and tastes change and my sense of humor has changed and, and if I, if I can improve something, I will continue to to um, rewrite lyrics until the day I stop singing the song. Always. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that, you know, having seen you a number of times over the years, I'll see you perform a song for a tour or two before it actually lands in the album. And it can be a completely different song, almost. Different sound, different lyrics. But at least from, from the Weird Al point of view, Weird Al, he will re- record and release the album before he ever does it live. You know, would you feel kind of boxed in if if you had that same philosophy? Well, I, I've only done that on a couple of occasions. Um, yeah, but most mostly, I like to I like to um, test it out a little bit before I really commit it to to you know living forever in <laughs> right. digital form. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not 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 every song, but I want to get the, the bulk of it in front of an audience just so I know what I need to work on. And that's, the, I guess that's the way I've always done it. Yeah. You know, there's always one or two songs that have never been performed live. And, and actually with the last two records I made, there were more than that. 
which is very was would have been unheard of for me like you know 15 years ago but i was going in sort of a different direction and i, I really felt like i i had a handle on it and i had confidence in it and so um some of the songs off of like my lion record for example had never been played in front of an audience when i did the live taping of the show oh um, wow Fortunately, it worked out. <laughs> but yeah. I was willing to take that chance. I, for some reason, I had a confidence in that material, which I, I just thought was, I knew it was going to work somehow. And, and thank God it did. But yeah, I mean, I've done both and I, w- I will continue to do both. Um, yeah. But I much prefer to sort of just, just get on, just do a couple of shows, you know, do a tour where I do maybe 20 shows. And that gives me a chance to, you know, play the song as it is for the first week and sort of gauge the reaction of the audience if it changes from night to night or if it's consistent and the stuff that's consistently not working, I can change it in time to to try it out again for another few shows until I get it to the point where, okay, I know this is solid. And then I can go into the studio and it's, it is sort of a backwards way to do comedy. It's, you know what I mean? To to uh, release it after you've already played it for everybody. But I, the tours are small enough that I don't feel like I'm giving it away necessarily. I can I can more sort of test it out, hone it, get it to where I like it, and then record it. Right. And then I can tour behind it and go to all the places I never went, and it's new, new to them. So, And as we discussed five years later, I will still be changing it so it'll be new again. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> You know what I mean? You can sing along to it if that's your thing, um, but there's going to be a couple of changes in it for you to enjoy. Some hopefully yeah. improvements. I think they're improvements because I can say, "Oh, now I'm getting a laugh on this consistently," whereas before it was, you know, one out of every three times I'd get a laugh on that line, and now I get it nine out of ten times. So, right? Why not? Who cares? Keep, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not so precious to think these songs are engraved in stone and can never be ch- changed. Right. You know, right. Make them funnier. Make them funnier. <laughs> Why not? Now, when you are performing them live and, and trying them out and making changes, are you doing that sort of mentally or are you recording the shows and listening back to them? No, I'm not, I mean, I have recorded shows before, um, which is helpful for the shows. Um, you know, future shows. If I, if I think, in fact, I just started doing it like a couple of years ago. I'd never done it before. And I thought, why don't I, why don't I just bring a, now it's easy because I have a telephone. Right. And a telephone <laughs> recording capability. Um, so I can just set it on the table next to me, hit record. And then if something is really great that was spontaneous that night and I want to add it to the show the next night and I can't remember what it is, I can go back and listen to it. Right. Um, because my shows all, they all start off with, a set list and nothing else. And I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to intro the song. I don't know. You know, and these could be awful, awful shows. Hopefully they're not. Hopefully I'm spontaneous enough that I can, you know, come up with things on, on the fly. But what I really want to do is keep building every night and adding the stuff from before that worked and, and ditching this part where I say, um, for 10 straight minutes because I can't think of anything. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and, you know, you just sort of get it to the point where it's a well-oiled machine and there's always room to improvise and be spontaneous. Um, but the 
but the bones of the show are really fleshed out and good. So I know when I charge people money to come see me, they're going to, you know, not be disappointed. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't really work. The songs themselves, by that point, I don't do that. I don't record the show. So I remember new lyrics from the songs because I will work on those and write them down. For me, I record shows now when I have done it just to sort of at the beginning of the tours, just so I can sort of remember the, the newer, more spontaneous things. Right. If that makes sense. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. You know, in, in your songs evolving over time, you know, your first full album came out 21 years ago. Are there any of your older songs that you would want to re-record and re-release? Um, no. I, I'm sort of happy with the way that everything came out. Um, it, you know, as far as older songs, I will I will try to rewrite them and improve them for the, for the live performances. But in terms of what they are, um, as sort of recorded in a period of time, you know, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I don't need to re-record yeah. anything. Plus, I, you know, I've sung them so many times I'm bored with them. Right. I don't want to record them. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I, don't even want to, I don't even want to sing them again, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I'll do it if somebody wants to hear it, you know. Yeah. But I definitely don't need to record them again. <laughs> God, 21 years, that's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. I should have put out a 20-year remastered version of, <laughs> of my first <laughs> Like, you need to really remaster, uh, you know. I think I did that in somebody's basement. and I don't even know if it was mastered the first time. How are you going to remaster? <laughs> mastered. It'll just be mastered now. <laughs> yeah. The 20th anniversary mastered version. <laughs> Now mastered for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah. first mastering. <laughs> you, of course, write all your songs, original songs. Uh, one thing that Weird Al does is he writes parodies, and we love your original songs, but have you ever thought of doing any kind of parodies? Um, no, not really, because, you know, what? Well, I'm not going to do it better than Weird Al. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? He has inspired billions of people who do song parodies. And as far as I'm concerned, he's like maybe the only person who consistently does it well. Um, plus, for me, the exciting part is writing the song. You know what I mean? And, and having it go from not existing in the world to being a, a full, fully fledged song, hmm. which is more difficult than it sounds. But I like that challenge. And I. Yeah. I think if I weren't if I weren't doing sort of stuff in the comedy realm, I would still be trying to write music um, because that's what I love to do and that's what's what's fun for me. So um, yeah, I don't I've never really had any interest in doing it like that. Hmm. Plus, I don't think I'd be very good at it. I think other people are more clever than I am and funnier than I am. <laughs> I, I just like I just like the challenge of starting from zero, right? And and yeah. trying to make something out of absolute thin air. To me, that's the most rewarding part of the whole thing. Right. At any point in your career, did you ever play non-comedy music? Um, you mean, did I ever write it? Yeah, or did you ever, you know, were you ever in a cover band or, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was in a band in, in college um, that did all cover songs, as you do when you're in a band in college. <laughs> <laughs> and I've written non-comedy songs. I've never release them or anything but um maybe someday i will i don't know i always i always threaten to but <laughs> but 
it's like it's like the uh, the old archive footage. It'll come out after I'm dead. Right. Like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> this beautiful singer songwriter record that he's always <laughs> too scared to release. <laughs> what I think is really cool about your albums, you know, some of them are studio albums, some of them are live albums. And now the last two albums you've put out are both live and studio albums with the songs being recorded twice. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about, you know, your decision process early on of doing studio versus live and then ultimately now releasing both? Um, well, I finally stumbled onto the, you know, problem I always had, which is, you know, do I record comedy not in front of an audience? because it's music and I want to go into a studio and write a, you know, and, and record a, a musical album. Yeah. That always seemed kind of weird. Or do I sacrifice sort of the musical integrity of the song in order to do it in front of a live audience, which is what comedy is supposed to be. And I couldn't decide, you know, I had sort of just picked one or what, I don't know how I decided back in the old days, but when I was getting ready to um, record Lion, I just, I actually couldn't decide. And then one day it occurred to me, why don't you just do both? <laughs> you know, you're going to end up recording a live version of these songs anyway, probably. Right. For something or other. Why not, why not just make a <laughs> sort of a weird double record um, with the studio version for people who are more interested in that side of it. And then more traditional sort of comedy fans can hear a, a, just a live show. And it's twice as expensive. <laughs> right. and, uh, it's twice as expensive and, and you know I, I make half as much money as I would if I had just put out <laughs> a single record with the same material but to me it satisfies both of those urges to to um, capture these songs as they should be right which is, right. Which is for, you know as as songs which you want to do or I want to do in a studio and pay very close attention to the detail of the recording and and get the music where I, where I like it. And then, you know, the flip side of that, which is these songs are actually meant to be performed in front of people who will laugh at them. So why not both? And it worked out. It worked out for me anyway. I liked it. People seem to like it. So I did it on the last record too. And I, I will probably do it on the next one. I think unless I finish I'm recording a new one right now. If I finish it before I can still do live shows, then maybe I'll just throw this one out there as a studio album and then charge everybody all over again when I release it as a, a live album. <laughs> I'm getting smarter financially. I'd buy both. As I go. <laughs> I mean, what kind of idiot go. gives away two records for the price of one? What am I thinking? <laughs> moron but you know what i don't know i like it that way so i probably will keep doing it like that well that's really exciting that you're working on a new album do you have any idea when that might come out well i mean no i don't want to speak too soon i'm hoping at the end of this year but um i said no and then i gave you a date anyway (laughs) (laughs) you know it probably would be done by now if not for the pandemic because i was i had a big tour in 2020 planned point of which was to test out a bunch of this material and um i think i got two shows in before we had to cancel everything oh wow so you know i'm recording some of the older ones that i that i, I had been able to test a little more over the last few years um the ones i know work um but then the, the newer stuff that i had written previous to the uh, 
pandemic, um, probably have to get out and, as I said, you know, just kind of do a few shows where I gauge the, the quality of the material before I decide to record that. But yeah. I think I can do that this year. I think it's possible that shows will open up again and or venues will open up again and shows will be done. And, and I know we've been working on keeping dates alive just in case things open. Um, so knock on wood, I'll be back out, you know, toward the end of the year. Yeah. Make sure I'm good to go with this material and then try to cram it in before the end of the year. That's what I'm hoping for. If I'm going to do the double record thing again, it's probably not going to be till next year, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. 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 Well, I really hope you, you are able to get out this year. Cause I, I had my tickets for, for the, the tour last year and I've been bummed and I've, I'm really excited to see you out there again. Yeah, man. You know, I've taken large, you know, longer stretches of time off of touring than this year. Um, but I've never been forced to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Especially when I had a bunch of material that was just raring to go. So <laughs> yeah, I'm dying to get back right. out there. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody is, but, yeah. you know, it's all oh, yeah. living obviously. So, um, you know, you, you go through time, I go through times where I'm concentrating on writing and I'm not out there performing and I don't make any money because I know the, the next year is when I'm going to go tour all that stuff. And I am going to make enough to, you know, keep them from taking my house away from me. So <laughs> this time it was not up to me. They were just, you know, you can't do it. So it was, I don't know, that put a weird twist on everything. It's like, what? I can't go out? Now I really want to go out. Most right. of the times I'm like, I don't want to go out. <laughs> yeah. I want to sit at home and write and then I'll go out if I have to. And it was weird when you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we both hope that you and everybody else who performs for a living can get out as soon as it's possible and as soon as it's safe to do so. And you know that we will be there in the audience, you know, as soon as we can. We'll be just as excited as you guys are to be there as well. Cool, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your time on Broadway in The Wedding Singer. Was it, you know, difficult to transition from, you know, comedy music into, you know, doing theater like that? No, I mean, I like I had been doing it my whole life, so it was, it was. It, I wasn't expecting to do it. I had sort of given up, given that part of. I don't want to say given up, but I moved on to other things. You know, by that point, I was already touring and writing and doing comedy for a living, and so um, it it just sort of I sort of stumbled onto that. I wasn't I wasn't auditioning anymore. I was done. You know, before that, I was auditioning all the time, but when I started doing my own thing, I sort of put that away and went, well, you know, maybe not. And then I got a call to come in and audition for that because I thought I'd be good for it. And um, as you may recall from earlier, that was what I had moved to New York to do in the first place. Right. Right. So I, was, I, so I jumped at the idea. I thought it was great. And I, I got the feeling that if I didn't screw up the audition, then I was going to get the role. They seemed to be implying that anyway. And I didn't. And I got the part and it was super fun and it was exciting and they had created all new um, songs for the show. You know, because if you, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but they're all, you know, previously released songs. Right. They're all, you know, rock songs, right. essentially. Right. Pop songs. And um, these guys were, were, what interested me about it was that they were not doing that. They were creating songs from scratch. And, um, so I jumped at the chance to be part of, the, you know, it's a remake of a movie, but as far as the music is concerned, it, it was a whole new creation. It was super fun, and I had a great time, and I met 
lifelong friends doing that show. And we started out in Seattle because, um, you know, they do out-of-town tryouts for those, those big shows. And they see how it goes, and they determine what they have to work on. <laughs> it's, it's essentially what I do. They, right. <laughs> they test it out. They, they figure out right. what works and what doesn't work. Then they rewrite the shit out of it. And then when they like it, you bring it to New York and you go up on Broadway. So that's what they did. And we had a year, almost a year run. And it was super fun. I had a great time. And at the same time, I couldn't wait for it to be over because I was used to being able to sort of do whatever I wanted on stage. Yeah. Um, that, it, that wasn't yeah. a shock to me because I had, as I said, been doing shows my whole life. But I had never done a show for more than a few weeks. And this was months and months and months. And by the end of it, I was sort of itching to be able to just do what I wanted <laughs> and change the show a little bit. And you just can't do that. The show is, that show is set in stone once it's, once it's finalized. That's it. You can't change yeah. it. So yeah. As fun as it was, as it was, and, and um, how great a time I, I had doing it, I couldn't wait to sort of free myself up to be able to, talk if I wanted to, play a song if I wanted to, do nothing. You know, you know what I mean? I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a it was a super fun experience. I'm glad I did it. And my, mom, my mom was glad I did it. I was lucky enough to attend one of the shows, and it was just incredible. Like, it, it, you know, I was already a, a huge fan of yours, but I also was a fan of that movie. So seeing that transformed yeah. and, I, you know... I don't know if this is controversial, but I think you did a better job than Adam Sandler did. What? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> I am. I'm going to talk about that on, on my uh, Adam Sandler podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's two different shows. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And it, um, you know, very nice of you, but it's two different animals, I think. You know what I mean? It's just a, the stage shows are they're spectacular. You know, there's a reason that they spend $20 million or whatever they spend on those shows. Yeah. Because the yeah. amount of work that goes into them is just mind-boggling. And you're doing it all the way up until you open. You know, like 16-hour days and rewriting and trying things. And they light the stage and the costume people. It's just they're huge undertakings. And so they are big, spectacular things, but I think they're, you know, they're a lot different from, uh, the end product is so much different from, from the, the movies or TV shows or whatever that they come from that you can treat them as right. two different animals. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing to back up my opinion is I don't think Adam Sandler's ever gotten a Tony nomination. You were nominated for best actor for your role <laughs> in The Wedding Singer. for a Tony for Best Actor, and now, you know, 15 years later, you haven't gone back to acting. Do you think there's a, a world where you will take another shot and, and do some more acting? Uh, I don't know. You know, I suppose I have that option. 
to give it another try, but um, I don't know. I, I've kind of settled into a different kind of life, and I like it. You know, I moved back to Michigan from New York, and I just wanted a quieter existence and a more low-key existence, and it works for me. You know what I mean? I I, I don't do a lot of stuff, yeah. but the stuff I do, I like, and uh, I try to make as quality as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just sort of a smaller, quieter existence, and it, I... It's for me. I like it. I dig it. So maybe someday, okay. but right now, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, I, I can't go an interview without asking about our, our dear mutual friend, Rod Cohn. How is Rod doing? <laughs> He's great. I'm sure he'll be on the road with me as he has been for the last, I don't know, almost 20 years, yeah. probably, <laughs> uh, the, next, the next time I go out. So. <laughs> In the meantime, I'll tell him you say hello. I text and talk to him all the time. I saw him a few times during this uh, crazy quarantine um, last summer where we would just hang out in the backyard and yeah. keep our distance and wear masks and everything. But <laughs> but since winter, I've had no contact with any human beings except my wife. So um, <laughs> It looks like soon we'll be able to see each other again, and I'll tell him you said what's up. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he's doing great. And this eventual tour that we're we're hoping, you know, will happen this year. Um, I know in the past you've, you know, obviously you've always toured with Rod. Rod is a mainstay, but you've had other people in and out. You know, Mark Tyke, Dave Josephsberg, yep. Charlie King, Courtney J. Yep. Do you think that you know we'll see any of our old favorites coming back? Are you asking me if I'm getting the band back together? <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> we're getting the band back together. <laughs> Um, I would love to tour with all those people again. It'd be super fun. It's just, it's always a matter of logistics and who's available and, right. and uh, you know, and yeah. what the purpose of the tour is. You know, if I'm touring before I put the record out, it's usually just to sort of test the stuff out, as I said. So minimal is better. Um, if I'm touring after, um, then it's fun for me to have a bigger group of people Um but everybody's not always available. So who knows? I don't know. I always play it by ear. Yeah. I know one thing is I'll be there. Right. Probably Rod will be there. And we'll see. <laughs> we'll see who else shows up. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun to see Rod do the girl parts in the songs. <laughs> always fun. Always fun. <laughs> Singing like a little angel. <laughs> now, aside from, you know, working on this new album and, and uh, taking some time off. What? How else have you been spending uh, the quarantine? Uh, I've been watching a lot of television. Yeah. I've been playing my piano a lot. Uh, I moved, which is a huge endeavor. That took up a good chunk of time, which is great, because it was a great distraction. Right. Even though it was, you know, moving sucks and it's annoying and whatever, um, it, was a good, it was good to have something to actually think about when I woke up in the morning. So, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, written, I've written a bunch of stuff. Um, which is the whole reason I figured I could put out a new record. It's because, uh, you know, when I was going on tour, I didn't have enough. And now I think I might have enough or pretty close to it. So that's what I've been doing, playing with my dogs, watching TV. Lots of television. Yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of television. I mean, that's the life. That's, that sounds great. <laughs> dogs and TV. Yeah. And <laughs> comedy music. <laughs> I'm, leaving out the part, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving out the part where I'm pacing the floor wondering when I'm going to be able to work again, but uh, you know, nobody wants to think about that. Right. <laughs> right. 
Well, it's it's been really great getting to talk with you again today. And, you know, from all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast, we hope to hear that album come out by the end of the year. We hope to see the tour hit by the end of the year. Um, but in the meantime, people can, you know, obsessively refresh stephenlynch.com. That'll have all the information for the <laughs> tour dates and, and upcoming albums and CDs. And, and you know, I did see somewhere on your website yeah. that My Old Heart, your newest album, was getting a vinyl release. Is that still happening? Oh, yeah. It's done. It looks beautiful. I think it's going to come out. I think we're going to start taking pre-orders from, for it in in may i think oh cool and then it'll come out like a month or two later but yeah it's done it's it's ready to go i they haven't sent me one yet because i don't think they've printed them but but the artwork's done and the layout's done and the remastering is i think done wow and, uh, yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be super cool i'm excited about it and this is your yeah. this will be your first album on vinyl no i actually did superhero on vinyl oh, that you was did? Before, sort of the vinyl boom okay. yeah i did and and it was it was a before the big vinyl boom. It was like two thousand one or two or whenever that record came out. And um, also, I got tired of carrying boxes of vinyl records from show to show because they were heavy. And I'm like, why am I? Why did I make these dumb vinyl records? Nobody's gonna buy these. And we sold, you know, I sold a few of them. But yeah. but now that vinyl is a thing again, um, this this company contacted me and asked me if I wanted to do it and I said yeah let's do it so I'll make the announcement on the on the website at some point soon. cool oh I can't wait yeah yeah do, do you think you'll re-release any of the older ones on vinyl as well I don't know let me see how this if there's any interest in this one and people actually buy it then why not you know <laughs> it might be fun to right that's the only way you're going to get me to revisit those old right records <laughs> if, I, uh, <laughs> if I put them in a new format right so. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Could we get a cassette tape release of Superhero or Craig Machine? <laughs> now those I could carry around with me yeah. pretty easily. So. Oh, there's a... <laughs> yes. We need a I know there's a cassette resurgence for a couple of weirdos out there, but yes. we need more people to yeah. That's right. we need more people to, to want to hear music in the worst possible format. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm all over it, man. I'll I'll dub them myself yeah. on my high speed dubbing jam box with a couple of Max L's and I'll just sit in my basement and do it. Well, what about then, what about a single on a wax cylinder? I mean that that could be yeah. fun. I think we I think for record store day, um, back when Lion came out, we put I think we did a single, maybe a seven inch or something. Oh yeah. I think it was tattoo and oh, yeah. Might I laid you down on the on the B side? I, I can't really remember, but we did it once, or I guess that was twice. So this will be the third time. But this is the this is the full thing. Yeah, this is the real deal. You know, the yeah. whole album gatefold. You can do all your chop all your lines in the middle of the of the uh, gatefold. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna bring back the eighties. <laughs> how, how cool! It's gonna be a two yeah. two disc, right? Oh yeah. Oh wow, that'll be cool. Sure. Nice. Well, we'll we'll definitely yep. keep our eye on stephenlynch.com for that. And uh, this has just been great, Stephen. Thanks for joining us and talking about Weird Al and about your career and, and everything that's going on. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Stephen, for the incredible interview. Be sure to head on over to stephenlynch.com to pick up his newest album, My Old Heart, and stay tuned for the upcoming vinyl version. We absolutely cannot wait. 
Now, you can take it from me, you know, major Weird Al fan, major comedy music fan. You have to check out Stephen Lynch if you have not listened to him lately or ever. He is just so funny. You're absolutely going to love his music. And he also puts on a fantastic live show. So watch his website, watch social media, and be sure to go see him when he comes to a town near you. But also, I do want to mention his music does have some spicy language. So if you're not mature enough to listen to spicy language, you don't have to worry. He does also have an album called Stephen Lynch's Cleanest Hits, where, you know, it's all bleeped and you don't have to worry about that. You're going to love it. As Stephen mentioned, he does not do a lot of podcast interviews. So we are honored that he chose us to speak with. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin beautiful, it's also banking. Hey, Ethan, have you ever wondered where you should bank when you're visiting Darwin, Minnesota? Uh, well, no, not really. Why? Well, have you perhaps wondered what are the top 10 banks in Darwin, Minnesota? Well, Dave, I don't know that we really have time to go through 10 banks in Minnesota. Well, up first is Perennial Bank, conveniently located on 318 North 1st Street in Darwin. You know you don't have to go far for great banking needs. All right, and the next one? Did you know Perennial Bank is open Monday through Friday, five days a week? No Saturday hours? And they conveniently close at 4 p.m. every day, 5 p.m. on Friday. Are you going to do all this for each bank? Yep, of course I am. And did you know that Perennial Bank in Darwin conveniently has two phone numbers and a dedicated fax number? No, tell me more. All right. Dave, I was being sarcastic. Well, tell me, Ethan, are you sitting down? Dave, I'm literally right next to you in this gold-encrusted recording studio sitting down. Well, Perennial Bank in Darwin, Minnesota now has drive through banking. That's very convenient. Can we just get through the other nine banks now? Um, yeah, well, uh, well, it looks like the other nine banks are also Perennial Bank. So, Frank, just loop this ad nine more times, please. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin, more than just the twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Each week, we're able to bring you our podcast absolutely free thanks to our sponsors, Burrito Burrito, Angel Valenzuela, and his son, David Cash, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, and David Grant. And also thanks to our amazing close personal friend, Patreon supporters, Blair, Kenneth, Jared, Jake, Javier, UH Jeff, Zeb, and Allison. And thanks to our newest Patreon supporter, Robert, and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly weekly Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch or by picking up some pretty stinking majestic official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast merchandise, such as t-shirts, tank tops, leggings, face masks, and more at shop.2000inch.com. And remember, right now, 
Patreon supporters can check out the black and white and weird all over bonus episodes, one centimeter and two centimeter. The first two episodes in our special book series where we sit down with author John Bermuda Schwartz and go page by page, picture by picture, centimeter by centimeter through his book, black and white and weird all over. Patreon supporters get to hear all the bonus episodes early. Everyone else stay tuned or, you know, just Join the Patreon family already! Ah! Well, thanks to all of our new Patreon supporters recently, we have hit one of our stretch goals for this month. That's right! When we hit our stretch goal this month, all of our Patreon supporters were automatically entered in a raffle for an amazing prize! And what do we have for this month's amazing prize? Drumroll, please! This month's winner, William, a.k.a. Abe Froman, will be receiving... A Mickey Mouse enamel pin! A Mickey Mouse enamel pin? And why Mickey Mouse, you say? Well, this pin shows Mickey riding a seal into the surf, and on the front, well, it reads, Darwin Discovers. Eh, close enough. Why does it say Darwin Discovers? We don't know, but what we do know is congratulations, William, from all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Each month we continue to maintain our stretch goal, we will be doing another monthly raffle. So if you want to get in on the fun for a chance to win uh, great prizes like this one, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash 2000inch. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans. Join our Facebook community and post about Weird Al by visiting group.2000inch.com. And we also love it when we receive voicemail via our official 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula. You might even hear your message on the show. For everything about our podcast, including incredible past episodes and guests, be sure to visit weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com and keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you all for subscribing and leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Thank you once again to our guest, Stephen Lynch, as well as thanks to Jackson Scoggins and DMDB.org. Thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible theme song, and thank you to Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thank you to all of you, our listeners and subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for listening to Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. And always remember to gill and chill! Uh, Ethan, Frank tells me that Stephen F. Lynch is on the line. What should we say to him? Ooh, I know. Have Frank ask him if his refrigerator is running. (laughs) Great idea. And if he can grab us some Cheetos. That was Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 108-inch. The podcast where none of us have bad tattoos. If anybody makes baby-making music, it's Weird Al Yankee. <laughs>